Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Just want to check in with you, Ben. <laughs> How are things going? How's that body, specifically? <laughs> you have any way of telling me that? Well, uh, I, I imagine that this is inspired by the fact that I tweeted a picture of a a model of a healthy yeah. human colon this morning. <laughs> I, I, I texted you almost immediately after seeing that. I didn't mean to rub that in your face. I didn't want you to see that and feel like I was colon shaming you. Hashtag colon goals. Yeah. <laughs> Regarding that photograph, were those two healthy colons or was that healthy on the left and... Uh, unhealthy caramel filled on the right. Uh, I think that it was a drawing of a healthy colon and then the model of a healthy colon. When you asked Dr. Soren uh, what normal was, he he gestured to your body and and said, it is what everyone else is and what you are not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I, I, uh, my health insurance changed and I had my first physical with my new general practitioner today and uh and somehow i got put in the examination room that had the picture of the healthy colon and then just a a big wall poster of of a of a prostate exam so like right next to my head like i I was sitting there for like five minutes before i noticed it i turned my head to the left and in cross section, there's a, a finger going into an anus and touching a prostate. <laughs> ben, were you turning your head to the left because you were told to do that and cough, and that was what you saw? <laughs> that didn't happen, which really surprised me. Oh, because I thought that that was like part of the annual physical. Yeah, that's my understanding. But I've had hernia surgery, so maybe, and I told the doctor that, so maybe when she heard that, she said, "I don't need to do the thing where I check to see if he has a hernia." Wow. Uh, do you like this doctor? How did you choose this doctor also? I have, I have so many questions. Well, some men choose their doctor, Adam, but some men have their doctor thrust upon them. And uh, uh, this was just the one that came with the the HMO that we're on now. Um, wow. I, could, I guess I could have shopped around a little bit, and I just don't have enough of whatever it takes to belief in yourself enough to <laughs> I don't know this doctor was fine you know yeah I mean that I I resemble that remark I when uh, when we changed insurance providers uh, we were cut loose from our old doctors and dentists and sent to look for our own and I like back when I had a Facebook page I like put it out to my local friends I was like I'm looking for a local Dr. Cottle from Battlestar Galactica like I want an old doctor who doesn't want to see me all the time and <laughs> won't force prescriptions on me. Like, what do you like? And then I found that doctor, and I've been with him ever since. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I think uh, I went in there thinking maybe I should get some anti-anxiety medication. Hmm. And uh, I asked about it, and she said, well, that stuff's pretty addictive. So I wouldn't really recommend it unless you know a, a specialist 
prescribes it. And she she seemed like she would be open to prescribing it to me if I if I felt really strongly about it, but strongly recommended against it. And I think that's a good sign in a physician. I think so too. I think I think you want to. I mean, look, we're not we're not dispensing healthcare advice on the show. That's fucked up. No, but but personally, I feel like triangulation is good and a baseline from your general physician, a baseline feeling of let's do it if we have to, not just because we're trying stuff out Yeah, is a pretty good feeling. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you're a, you're like a car that just went in for a bunch of service. You had the, the dentistry did oh, not yeah. go well. Other day and, I had uh, a, a very painful dentist, uh, <laughs> dentist exam, which was not great timing. <laughs> yeah. It's but, never great timing. No. Um, yeah. So uh, I don't know. Mostly feeling okay about my health, though. So that's good. It's better to know than to not know, in my opinion. At least, at least it's not a mystery. Yeah, and I've um, I've been feeling like I'm, I uh, am now a thirty-five man, and uh, I think this I is often the, forget that this is the time in life when you have to start, uh, you know making a point of getting in there regularly. Like it was a pretty rare occurrence through my twenties that I would go into the doctor's office, mostly because I didn't have insurance for a lot of that time. Yeah. And, uh, and I now, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have a wife who, uh, has a real job and can be on her insurance. And <laughs> I, uh, I need to take care of myself. Boy, a period could have come at any point in that statement and <laughs> it would have all been good <laughs> agreed uh, man well do you want to get into the episode we have a bit of a special ep today don't we yeah and sort of on theme for our Marin open right yeah doing doing the work you know yeah we landed on an nth degree square the nth degree square i should say mm -hmm. in the game of buttholes the will of the prophets and uh, that means uh, you and I have both participated in extensive research for this episode. So uh, this will be this will be one of those episodes that we we really get to it. Get you know like all the nitty gritty details of uh, how this episode was made. Little uh, little factoids, things people might not know. You know, yeah. we really got to the heart of it. I think we did. This is a very special episode, right? <laughs> Yeah, special. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to it, Ben. Let's. Uh, this thing is teed up and ready to kick. It's uh, Deep Space Nine, season four, episode three, Hippocratic Oath. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. Now we start in Quark's bar, and uh, I actually have... Uh, I thought I'd just kick it off right here with a factoid about this opening wow. shot. Okay. Because uh, uh, Quark, of course, is pouring a glass of prune juice for everybody's favorite Klingon addition to the cast. Mm -hmm. But uh, also on the tray are a couple of glasses of rosé. And not, not a lot of people know this, but this is actually the first on-screen appearance of Lisa Vanderpump rosé. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Boy, get a load of uh, Quark's tunic here, Ben. <laughs> I am uh, I am psyched for a uh, a larger and uh, and more varietal wardrobe for for one quark tea bartender <laughs> this garment uh imp- <laughs> i love it, it's like uh it's like that novel jennifer government you have the yeah. last name of the job you have <laughs> yeah i uh this this is the first time it's ever appeared on screen this really caught my eye ben and uh i i did a little bit of research about this uh costume designer robert blackman uh, was so inspired by his favorite shave ice flavor combination <laughs> that he uh, constructed them into a tunic. Uh, and if you wanted to know what those flavors were, it's chocolate, blue raspberry, and red raspberry. Wow, kind of a strange combo. Yeah, uh, they call it they call it the Robert Blackman at Ululani's. You can order it there anytime. <laughs> cool. Uh, so Worf is uh, is there, kind of creeping on a like a I would describe this alien as a bootleg Morn, because mm. he's kind of in Morn's spot and he's kind of yeah. doing Morn's thing, <laughs> wordlessly drinking. <laughs> what do you think you're doing, being all Morn, <laughs> sitting there drinking and being quiet? If if Morn ever spoke he would come in and said and said uh, there's only room enough for one of us in this bar and started a fight yeah um but uh but yeah Quark comes over to to Worf and sees what he's doing there and uh kind of calls Worf on discriminating against weird aliens that is the worst mugshot I have ever seen I kind of thought that maybe Quark had bad breath in this scene the way Worf is <laughs> recoiling from him yeah, there is a choice that Michael Dorn is making here, and it's a... <laughs> it's either a it, choice or it's not, you know, and I couldn't right. get to the bottom of this, but... It's a level of disgust that Worf feels for Quark throughout. Like, yeah. it doesn't just end here. It's either personal disgust or just general anti-Ferengi sentiment from Worf. Um, Persistent, disgusting, <laughs> terrible, dragon breath. <laughs> Solution? Listerine. <laughs> it works. I like this little interaction between Kira and Worf. I feel like uh, they are two two characters with fairly like hard pasts, and they're kind of in alignment on on uh, the kind of people they are. Right? Yeah. Not knowing the future of the show the way you do, it feels like a good match, socially or otherwise. Like the two warriorist characters on the show would seem to have a lot in common and would seem to be fast friends yeah and it's it's a little icy between them and yeah it I, is i kind of think that that's Worf, right like he's a, he he really just has his guard up with everybody yeah he kind of surveys people that he talks to from time to time on the station in a do you see this shit kind of way <laughs> if he is a known criminal why does your security chief not do anything about him? He has a level of incredulity about, like, the criminals just wandering about the station, yeah. free to do their thing. Well, it's a question we've asked several times that he's asking here. Why tolerate Quark? Yeah. Like, why, <laughs> why allow him to roam free on the station? It's a great question. We've listed his many crimes, 
several of them serious <laughs> over the course of our show. Uh, he's not wrong. I think that this episode is partly this B story. I think is is in part a t- an attempt to retcon some of that stuff. Quark would never survive on Rue Repente. <laughs> Not everybody keeps their genitals in the same place. Quark, for example, keeps them in his ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we cut to a runabout, and this is uh, O'Brien and Bashir, and they're uh, heading back a little bit early from Gamma Quadrant Biosurvey, which uh, is pretty adventurous. It's kind of just taunting the Dominion to keep running open-ended science missions like this, in my opinion. Hard agree. Do you think that O'Brien just hates the Jem'Hadar because they kind of look like Cardassians? I kind of do. He can't tell them apart. <laughs> <laughs> that one card he wanted to fuck him in a Jeffrey's tube, though. <laughs> that had to feel good. Yeah. Flattering, at the very least. Right. Um, They're having a super fun, the thing about my wife is, style conversation. Yeah. Um, I think it, anyone I, in a relationship kind of knows how this pattern goes, right? Yeah. Uh, this is actually an interesting piece of trivia that I found. Um, O'Brien is actually married to a woman named Keiko, who has apparently appeared in some episodes. If you haven't seen an episode in the last, I don't know, 20 you might not know that. <laughs> well, it's a good thing we did a bunch of research and found that stuff out. Right. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, O'Brien is is doing that thing of somebody who has no no sense of insight. You know, he's like, yeah, he like turned <laughs> I turned our bedroom into a workshop, and my wife gets mad at me. I think it is a. Uh, it's pretty telling how differently we took this. <laughs> Because I was really on O'Brien's side on this. I was like, if she's not home anyway, who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Damn. that's kind of the side that uh, Bashir takes, right? He's like, oh, yeah, being in your bedroom, wrenching on your projects, means that you're in the space that is most closely associated with your wife. It's quite touching, really. Exactly. Exactly. He makes an interesting point of like the idea that things send a message whether you are trying to or not. And O'Brien's take is like, it, I, I'm not trying to make this a personal attack on Keiko. I just thought I'd use a tabletop there for some tinkering. Yeah. He he did he did not realize that the tinkering would be at his wife. <laughs> I mean. Think about think about it from her perspective, right? She's like gone for months at a time. She comes home for a weekend and discovers like a half rebuilt Chevy engine <laughs> on a table in her bedroom. I think O'Brien would have a better case if we hadn't seen the rest of his condo, which is spacious. Yeah. Like there is room for that elsewhere. And also lots and lots of empty places on the station that he could easily yeah. have access to. Yeah, I mean, they were not too long ago playing fucking racquetball. Use the racquetball room. Yeah. Uh, this, this conversation takes a weird left turn into like kind of a gay panic thing. <laughs> Where O'Brien's like, I wish she was more like, more like a man. And the doctor starts laughing at him. So 
you wish Keiko was a man. That's a what is this like? Nineteen ninety six? Did this episode come out? Yeah, nineteen ninety five. Yikes! <laughs> like, like how different is disco from this? You know, it's watching this as an as a like archival piece of its time. I laughed at it for its like. <laughs> Like, oh, 1995. <laughs> like, it just seems like such a specific Seinfeldian, but there's nothing wrong with it kind of joke, you it know? It really is, yeah. It's not overtly condemnatory, but it's also a given in the logic of the scene that nobody would want to be misconstrued with being gay, which right. is a very 1995 approach. You know, it's like, it's like what Green Book is to racism, this scene is to... It's okay to be gay. They don't have a moment even to consider pulling out their dicks uh, <laughs> before a uh, before a banger gets dropped on them, and they are like heading towards a crash landing on a nearby planet. Yeah, I really liked the camera angle that shows the uh, the clouds rushing toward the the cockpit. I feel like that's better done, and then seeing seeing the runabout like come down under the cloud layer from an exterior angle into kind of like a, you know, like indoor forest moon looking type of environment. A piece of trivia that I really tried to find that I couldn't was, I was wondering if the the POV shot of the runabout uh, hitting the tree line was from Star Trek Generations and uh. the saucer crash into the tree line. There's something familiar about that and I didn't watch them back to back like I probably should have. But that looked like that, in a good way. I mean, yeah, no, it was a, it was a great little sequence. It, uh, yeah. So uh, so they've they've made a fairly soft landing, fortunately, on Bopak Three. <laughs> That's the name of this planet. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they had detected something. Should this planet have any equine life, uh, you could say that they would be called Bopak Horsemen. <laughs> yeah good point <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of my trivia is going to be of the good point variety <laughs> so buckle up so they detected like something that made them think that a, a warp core breach had happened or a warp core failure had happened or something yeah. in the area and uh it, it wasn't entirely clear to me like what the effect was that caused them to crash but they do make like they do they don't fuck the ship up beyond repair like the concern is not that they're not going to be able to take back off and that's good and you want to have the chief with you in a situation like this because you can just uh he can just get this thing back in the air as soon as they figure out you know what the what the crash ship situation is they really don't allow you to look at the crash site closely because it really looks like the runabout has been transformed into kind of a tiki bar situation like with the arrangement of the of the uh, of the limbs around yeah. it like, it looks <laughs> like a place that you should walk up and order a drink yeah i actually uh found something interesting about that this the all the set elements were saved and actually converted into a tiki bar in uh in Burbank uh 
Oh. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, it uh, it started to lose money, and then John Taffer rescued it <laughs> and made it into a sports bar that specializes in ice cream cocktails. <laughs> yeah, just a little uh, just a little tidbit of trivia for you. Wow, I uh, I would like to go to there. <laughs> now that I've now that I'm a newly minted lactoseman, <laughs> I can get back out there and enjoy the ice cream beverages that I've been missing out on. Nothing goes better with sports than a nice ice cream cocktail. That's the truth. Give me a plastic football with a frosty <laughs> ice cream cocktail inside. Forty four ounces. <laughs> Of Neapolitan ice cream and rum. (laughs) They've barely had time to comment on what a dump it smells like on this planet. Smells like a garbage dump. I'm sorry I couldn't find a nicer place to crash land. When a bunch of Jem'Hadars decloak in front of them and take them prisoner. Yeah, they have a... They start in right away with the who should we kill first line of conversation, <laughs> which is great. Like that's, if you're ever taken hostage, I think that's what you lead with if you're a hostage taker, right? Really set the tone. We had an episode of Disco recently where you talked about the idea of like being a patient in a hospital bed that people are talking over as though uh-huh. you're not there. And yeah. this conversation about who to kill really felt like that to me. Yeah. Like uh, O'Brien is determined to be a high priority kill. And then they're like, well, we'll use Bashir as like the most dangerous game and like do some war games on him before we kill him just for funsies. This episode makes a decision about its tone in this scene because if they were to argue about their relative value as hostages hostages i think that could be fun and funny <laughs> <laughs> like hold on a second he's like, a trained medical doctor with <laughs> with a commission i'm just yeah. a, i'm just an enlisted man <laughs> leave me out of this <laughs> i've I've actually been to war. I could be very useful to you. (laughs) Being a race of warriors. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, that is not uh, that is not what happens. This is uh, this is looking pretty dire for these two. Yeah. Um, So they get kind of marched off into the jungle, and uh, we cut back to Deep Space Nine, where Worf has been hauled into a meeting with Odo, Mr. Bucket. And Cisco, Cisco's office, and um, Cisco is kind of hearing Odo out as he complains about the fact that Worf is attempting to do security, <laughs> uh, like <laughs> in addition to his other duties. Yeah, Odo doesn't like uh, getting his toes stepped on, and this is a conflict we've seen before when uh, when Lieutenant Toast came aboard the station. Uh, uh, Odo had a problem with that guy also. And in general, it's it's a thing you see in life, right? Like a tryhard on paper sounds like a great person to have around. Right. But that quickly dissolves when toes get stepped on. Right. And and Worf Worf reminds me a lot of the way he was in the uh in that TNG couple of episodes the gambit episodes remember when when picard was galen yeah and he and he started doing missions for that that pirate ship and then riker eventually went over to that ship too and it made Worf first officer to data yeah remember how data had to had to scold Worf for his overstepping 
and uh, and his mission creep. Yeah, I rewatched a little of that episode recently when I made the ring check drop. Oh, interesting. That's where yeah. that uh, that's where that like I'm sorry if this has ended our friendship line comes from. Yeah. Yeah, Worf. Interesting. Not really good at this. To think about like a professional disagreement that doesn't necessarily need to end a friendship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Glad those exist. <laughs> I mean, it exists in fiction. It gives me hope. <laughs> so Cisco sort of scolds Worf about uh, about the the issue, and um, and Worf agrees to kind of knock it off. Uh, but admits that it has been been a little hard for him to kick the habit of doing security. I have occasionally not been on the side of episodes that just make Cisco into a counselor, mm-hmm. but this is a good Cisco ep- episode, and uh, his counsel at a number of times in this ep feels good and real, yeah, and lived in. You know, it kind of reminds me of the counseling he gives Dax in the uh, episode where everybody's like playing a past host. About like how to deal with Curzon. It's like, it's like. Was this when he was choking her out? This was the <laughs> advice. Yeah, yeah. In between gasps, he told her. <laughs> so back on the planet, uh, Bashir makes a deal with uh, the lead Gem Hadar to do science in lieu of being their uh, their uh, prey animal in in the hunt. The actor playing this lead, Jem Hadar, is actually the same guy that played Tosk. That's right. And uh, also the shovel face Romulan in Face of the Enemy in TNG. I love old shovel face. Yeah. Good get. Remember yeah. shovel face? I do. The name of this Jem Hadar is Garanagar. And uh, unlike the far more it's successful- It's actually pronounced Garanagar. Well, Ben, if you'll allow me to pronounce it that way, I have a joke that follows. Oh, fine. (laughs) I'll just gather myself and reset. Yeah. And unlike the far more successful product lines of, of, you know, like the liquors that Star Trek has made, Mm -hmm. like the James T. Kirk bourbon and the the Scotty Scotch. Right. uh, Scott McDonald actually had an idea for a salad dressing based on his character's name uh, (laughs) that unfortunately ended up being a failure. And so... uh, Sadly, he has dozens of cases of oil and Karanagar just sitting in his basement collecting dust. Yeah, you can find that stuff on eBay, but it really, like, it doesn't really have that much collectability value. (laughs) I don't apologize. (laughs) Uh... Better than the I bet, joke I, I wrote about you... that guy's name. It's okay. Oh shoot! Oh, I didn't know we were competing over. Uh... <laughs> give me, give me that one. I want to uh, hear it. Okay, just just for funsies. Uh, yeah, Garanagar is actually uh, a lot of people don't know this. A cousin, the real guy, a cousin of Terry Gar. A lot of people don't realize that she is part Jem Hadar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're keeping all of that. The problem is that it, we. We took different stabs at how to mispronounce his name, so... Garanaga. That's great. <laughs> that is so great. I love this show. <laughs> Garanaga, uh, his deal is that he has kicked the white. They call the uh, the stuff that they pipe into their necks Ketracel white, and he is, uh, he's actually uh, gotten the monkey off his back and 
is no longer addicted to it. And he's convinced that there's something about the environment of this planet that has to do with it because he was marooned on this planet for long enough that he should have died from lack of lack of uh, supply of the drug. Um, of course, this drug uh, is like the way that the Dominion keeps control over their super soldiers. Uh, it's the it's the lysine contingency, but for super soldiers. Right. Dr. Wu inserted a gene that creates a single faulty enzyme in protein metabolism. The animals can't manufacture the amino acid lysine. Unless they're completely supplied with lysine by us, they slip into a coma and die. And the fact that he's survived this uh, led him to kind of like a revelation about whether or not he even wanted to be a part of the Dominion, and he decided he didn't, and led his men back to this planet and is now like hoping that they can go through the withdrawals this and come out the other side the same way he did. But uh, it doesn't seem to be going well. He shows Dr. Bashir a group of uh, his soldiers who are like stand just standing in a row, shaking. <laughs> this was like a, a really, this is uh, an episode that René Aubergenois directed. Uh-huh. And uh, it was like, it was switched in shooting order with the visitor uh, because of something to do with Colomini's film shooting schedule. Right. So Aubergenois got this script kind of as a surprise and uh, and just had to had to go ahead and shoot it. And um, he hadn't like had months to prepare for it. So it was a real trial by fire. And uh, I would say that this is one of those scenes that really shows that like the idea that a bunch of people suffering withdrawal symptoms would just be standing like they're waiting for a bus. <laughs> like put those guys on cots. <laughs> God, the 16 is never on time. Garanagar's origin story is kind of kind of magical, and it also introduces uh, a timeline to this story and and a fair amount of stress because he has confided in Bashir and O'Brien that uh, while his soldiers have a month's supply to get off of the shit with, uh, that what they really have is only five days. Right and. Uh, what I found out about the story is that uh, it almost had a religious context because uh, the writers considered the idea of a more religious aspect to uh, Garanagar's appeal to his troops. Huh. Uh, but the story of the Ketracel White lasting for longer than predicted sure. and the and the Gem Hedonica story <laughs> was ultimately dropped. <laughs> All of yours just really bad puns. I don't know yet, Ben. I don't know. Yeah, well, they had that was a that was obviously in the first draft of the script, but they decided yeah. to kind of take it back to basics. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, Granigar is just really worried that the new chapter of Ketracel Anonymous that he's trying to get started is not going to. Not going to pop off the way he had hoped. Yeah, they are going to be pissed when they find out about their dwindling supply. One moment in this when uh, one of these soldiers is really suffering, there's kind of like a sergeant character that uh, walks up to him and 
and goes like, take the pain. And uh, I w- I w- that caught my ear because it reminded me of that scene in Platoon. Yeah. And uh, this, actu- this scene was actually guest directed by Oliver Stone. <laughs> and uh, he actually did it and uh, th- he didn't accept any payment other than a crate of Ketracel White. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Figured out that you could dry it out and then cut it up and snort it like a rail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it lit the thing about Ketracel White is uh kind of looks delicious. Looks like horchata. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice uh cinnamony flavor to it. Yeah. So, tastes great. Uh we have a little McLaughlin group Issue one back on the station that is an update about what the Klingons are up to. And uh I thought this was a nice bit of writing just to kind of remind the viewer that the all the rules are are really different now. This is, this is not an episode about that per se, but the Klingons are are an active threat that we are all still worried about. Um, but it kind of uh, it kind of gives way to everybody leaving the room and like Worf and Odo having a bit of uh, a chat and. Uh, and Worf is giving Odo like a hot tip. Like I, I discovered that your boy Quark found a uh, like piece of equipment that's used for identifying a certain type of crystal, telonial telonian crystals, and mm. uh, telonian crystals are not allowed to be taken off of the telonian homeworld. So having a scanner to identify telonian crystals is ridiculous unless Quark is doing something dirty. At this point in the episode, had you taken a side between Odo and Worf? I mean, I think that the episode is really heavily implying that Worf is unreasonably stepping on on Odo's toes. I was honestly surprised that Odo took this piece of information with appreciation, you know? I appreciate you bringing me this information, Commander. You know, on paper, if we're just starting season four of DS9 and we're bringing back a beloved TNG character, I would have my doubts over whether to make Worf an unlikable person or make decisions that we don't agree with as viewers so soon into his re-emergence onto a show. And... I think it speaks to the ability to paint this conflict between them that, like, there was never a side when I was on, there was never a moment when I was on Worf's side of this. Yeah. Like, I was always with Odo, and I would not have expected that given how much I love TNG and how new Deep Deep Space Nine is compared to my relationships between the two characters, you know? it. I feel like there's a math of we love this character and we can see him do something bad this early on and not lose our love for him. Yeah. You know, like they can kind of afford to, to spend Worf on a scene like this. And also Worf never had the reputation of being a character who was right all the time or particularly good at, at things like his excellence as a Starfleet officer was what exactly? And I don't mean that to be like super disparaging of Worf, which is a character I really like, but like he's not a... Yeah, I mean, there's like that super cut of Worf getting shot down 
whenever yeah. he suggests something. Yeah. And yeah, like the the idea that he is an imperfect character is well established, I guess. And I think that serves the story that's being told here, for sure. Madam, have you ever considered a career in security? If it's anything like babysitting, I'm an authority. <laughs> O'Brien and Bashir are, like, like Bashir kind of arranges for O'Brien to be allowed to assist him in his research, but O'Brien is just secretly building weapons to try and kill the Jem'Hadar, while Bashir looks for a way to cure these guys of their Ketracel addiction. Mm-hmm. And, uh... There's a a pretty funny scene where O'Brien's like rigged up a garden hose to shoot lightning bolts out of it, and they uh, it hits like one of the Jem'Hadar is inspecting it when it hits one of his buddies, and uh, he almost chokes O'Brien to death. Uh, but they decide at uh, Garanagar's orders. I said release him to return him to his holding cell. And one thing that happens a bunch of times in the episode is the more junior Jem Hadars are always looking to kill somebody for something and yeah. Garanagar is always getting in between them and that. And like including the guy that got hit with the the lightning bolt. He's got like a big gash on his leg and he's like, Kill me, this is great. You guys are gonna have so much more of the Ketracel now. If the death of one will make the rest stronger, then he dies. Logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Granagar's like, no, that's not what we're doing. We're not we're not playing the the games that the founders make us play. We came here to be free of the Vorta. It is time to stop living by their rules. Because the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. And that really makes a big impression on Bashir. You know, he's talking to O'Brien about how like he's form Granagar's forming his own morality, like kind of as an emergent property of not being uh, brainwashed anymore. Mm. He's like starting to come up with his own worldview and stuff. I thought that was pretty interesting. There's a deep sadness in the idea of serving a master that you've never met and can never know. And that was one of the things that Garanagar mentions is like, he's never seen a founder in real life. Like he's, he's getting orders several steps above his station. And that's part of the reason that he that he doesn't want that life anymore. He doesn't understand it, and he doesn't know who he's taking orders from. It's a crisis of faith. And, uh, you know, he used to be very confident in saying, my God is gloppier than your God, when he was, you know, on some planet subjugating some people. But now he doesn't even know, man. (laughs) (laughs) Bashir's interest in freeing Garanagar and the rest of his crew from from the white feels very parallel to the questions brought up when the idea of freeing the Borgs was was posed and and like creating a circumstance where independence could be achieved for them. Right. Yeah, and it, it I mean like the case he makes to O'Brien, who is hearing none of it by the way. Yeah. Is that the Jem'Hadar are slaves. Like they've they've been subjugated just like everybody else that isn't a founder in the Dominion. And uh, I thought that was a pretty compelling argument. You know, I could really see both sides of that. Yeah, that's what makes the scene great is not only that they're good buds, but that they both have really strong arguments here. And and it turns into a thing where Bashir has to fall out 
fall back on his rank to win the argument. He orders O'Brien to go, you know, get some equipment out of the runabout. And, uh, you know, you can just see O'Brien rethinking not becoming an officer. Like, got yeah. out of all those banquets, but <laughs> now I got to fucking eat a plate At of shit cost? served to me by Julian Bashir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that can't feel good. Uh, interesting that like they never bring up the friendship during the argument either. I right. That's, I think that's wise. I think that getting back to that argument that Data and Worf had back in the day, like interesting that Data was the one that did. Right. In circumstances like this. Yeah. It's really interesting to see their friendship tested because it's always felt like a friendship of convenience primarily. Mm. They're such yeah. different guys, but, uh, it's, I think it's clear when they disagree that it really distresses both of them. Yeah. You know, they don't want to be on either side of an issue like this. Much like the conflict between Bashir and O'Brien, there's some unrest among the troops in Garanagar's care, particularly with uh, Iraq Taral, who doesn't like what Garanagar's become, man. <laughs> <laughs> You've changed. <laughs> You were cooler when you were using the white, man. <laughs> we used to party. It was awesome. You you need to lighten up. <laughs> You're such a bummer. <laughs> Fucking harsh my chill every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, real vibes. Real recovery vibes, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing now? Exactly. is trying to start Ketracel Anonymous, and uh, it's becoming clear that Worf needs like security anonymous. Yeah. Uh, because he is uh, he is now snuck into Quark's bar after hours to secretly watch as Quark makes a an illicit deal for these Talonian crystals uh with this uh with this bootleg Morn guy and uh and Worf kind of like repels down from the ceiling with a dustbuster like ha ha I foiled your dastardly plot quirk <laughs> I don't know what made me think of this other than than Worf's posture here but he creeps in from the side of the frame like uh, Chris Hansen from To Catch a Predator. <laughs> and what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? You know? Yeah. Like, he's so chill in his gotcha moment. Yeah. He's like, hey, Quark. Why didn't you put the you, Mike's Hard doing? Lemonade down? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk to me for a while. <laughs> Why don't you sit down over there? <laughs> and then Ode, it turns out Odo is the Mike's Hard Lemonade. Yeah, yeah, this the six pack that Quark bought to barter for the uh, <laughs> for the crystals with gets uh, goes gold, and uh, Worf drops it on the floor, and Odo uh, appears, and uh, it it becomes clear that Quark was actually in on a fairly sophisticated sting, whereby Odo was gonna go aboard this guy's ship disguised as Mike's Hard Lemonade, and if he could avoid getting drunk, he would then follow the ship back to the 
whatever criminal syndicate this guy works for. And uh and Worf like it's like one of those uh it's like one of those interagency fuck ups where like the DEA and the FBI are onto the same stash, you know? Yeah, you see it all the time in cop show. <laughs> you really do. The genre. Right. You know? Yeah. So uh Odo gets to kind of uh flaunt his security chess to Worf's security checkers, but unfortunately he's gonna have to settle for arresting the middleman in this uh, in this particular case. No character on the show feels shame quite like Worf, and this is professional shame that he's made to feel, right? Yeah. This sucks for him, and yeah. it should suck. Yeah, he, uh, he is definitely blushing at the end of this scene. Yeah. So back at the runabout, O'Brien has um, used his advanced knowledge of what button to push on a runabout to cause Worf lightning to come out of a panel <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, distracted a Jem'Hadar, beamed himself into the forest nearby, and uh, he's like, he like goes full first blood, right? <laughs> he like yeah. covers a tricorder with a bunch of leaves and makes a Rambo trap. I love this. What you choose to call hell. He goes home. He like meets up with Bashir. We see like we see one of these Rambo traps actually get sprung and a Jem'Hadar get hit with a with a log in the face. Just a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, Ben, uh, the lethality of this trap was originally far greater. Oh yeah, uh, but but when the scythe that O'Brien made from a sharpened panel from the runabout uh-huh. decapitated a stuntman. Wow. Uh, they decided to have him construct uh, a non-lethal booby trap instead. Holy shit. Yeah, um, yeah I, that's, uh, I, I read all about this scene because I thought it was fascinating. And one thing that I uncovered is that they actually had a couple of Ewoks on set consulting. <laughs> They, when when asked, the Ewok said, "Yub yub." <laughs> this all leads up to a climax, right? Like O'Brien escapes. He's running through the jungle. Like booby traps are flying off behind him. He finally gets to Bashir, and he's like, he has that moment, right? The "I've come to rescue you" moment. Everything comes to a head in this moment. It's only 300 meters to the runabout, but those guys move fast. And Bashir says, I'm not going with you, and it's fade to commercial, like, dun, dun, dun. Did you see the gag reel for this episode? Oh, I didn't find that. I, I did. It was pretty great. There was a, there was a version of this scene. God, Kalamini's so great. He, uh, he looks at Bashir, and, and like Andre the Giant from The Princess Bride is like, I've come to rescue you. <laughs> I have these horses. <laughs> They'll be dead. And, and then you were there. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Like classic Colomini. Yeah. Just, just a cut up. He's a cut up. Yeah. He always, he, he loves to burn a take just to get everybody yeah. kind of in the mood, you know? Like Billy yeah. Bob Thornton doing a <laughs> sling blade. Yeah. Just a delight. It's never not going to work. Yeah. No more rhymes now, I mean it! Anybody want to feel it? But yeah, Bashir feels like he's, you know, he's kind of gone back and forth on whether he thinks he can crack this code of fixing the Jem'Hadar. And there's a point in the middle of the episode where he's like, I don't think it's the planet, I think it's you. I think you have a genetic mutation. Yeah. And, and that actually 
you know, seems like a defeat then, but then he's like, oh, but maybe I can like promulgate that mutation to more Jem Hadar. And eventually O'Brien just has to shoot the experiment to to get Bashir to agree to come with him. Amazing moment. Right? I didn't think he had it in him. It was pretty wild. Yeah. Kind of a terrible effect. Yeah. But whatever. Uh so they're they're about to bounce. Garanagar like jumps out of the forest and discovers them and basically the decision is that all is lost, so might as well let these guys go because he's uh, he's a, a chill Jim Hadar, <laughs> and uh, he walks them to the runabout, and the the guy that got Worf lightning kind of like stumbles out right at that moment, and uh, threatening to kill these two, and uh, Garanagar actually takes him down. Yeah, pretty rugged. Of everyone on the planet. We probably knew this guy and his motivations the best, right? Iraq Tural? Yeah. I mean, he is he is speaking for the the standard issue Jam had our motivation. He's the number 1 also. Yeah. So this is meant to hurt the most when he's executed. It's pretty tough and so when he goes down Bashir and O'Brien turn to Garanagar and they're like, "Well, you could come with us." Like this uh you know, you don't have to live out the rest of your miserable life on this yub yub planet <laughs> uh huh and and he's like he's like no man which one of you was a soldier you in the gold you understand tell your friend he's their commander I trusted him you can't leave them they get in their in their Winnebago and they head off Bashir takes a real big city amount of beats before finally getting into the runabout, right? He really like, does, yeah. Like, they really take their time in this moment. Yeah, I liked him that. Giving him some pause. I liked, I liked letting it, like, the ramifications of all this wash over him because yeah. he, uh, you know, like, the title of the episode is Hippocratic Oath, and he really stuck to his guns on that the entire time, and it is now not even close to being an option. Yeah. Yeah. More, more, more. We get a couple of little wrap-up scenes. Um, one is uh, with Cisco fixing that clock from that one terrible episode. <laughs> and uh, Worf comes in to kind of, like, he read the official report that Odo wrote about arresting that guy and discovered he wasn't in it. Felt bad about it, and so he's kind of coming to Cisco to mea culpa about it. And Cisco's, you know, pretty chill about it. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm not mad. It's like an adjustment period, and you're in it. This is, uh, this is not like living on a starship. DS9 has a lot more shades of gray. It has fifty shades of gray, to be precise. Now, uh, how about you sign this contract, and then we can go into my dungeon. I and they put some nipple clamps on Worf. I love the idea that Worf is in a probationary period that he didn't know he was in. <laughs> that allows for some mistakes to be made. That's basically what what Cisco is saying here. He's like, "This isn't like being on a ship, man." And you'll get that eventually, but uh, you're gonna make some mistakes along the way. Yeah, 
your average Federation vessel doesn't have a guy like Quark working on it. Yeah. Worf, yeah. Uh, he says, like, uh, on the Enterprise, I knew who my friends were and I knew who my enemies were. And I could just see him, like, winding up to list Mott as one of his enemies. <laughs> <laughs> you see the fucking haircuts I had on that show? Yeah. Season after season of looking like a dope. <laughs> yeah. Great moment. Yeah. Uh, like, moment efficiency, I think. These two scenes between Cisco and Worf that bookend the ep, yeah. I think, are really great. Yeah. Uh, button on the episode is Bashir and O'Brien uh, piloting the Winnebago back to the station. And uh, O'Brien kind of reminding Bashir that Bashir can and maybe should charge O'Brien with some kind of uh, dereliction of duty for uh, you know disobeying a direct order. And uh, it does really feel like their friendship has changed forever in this scene. It really, really does. They they put off the darts game, Ben. Yeah, it's pretty heavy. Some uh, some wild shit. I like seeing this moment though. Like one of the there was a safety to TNG where like you knew no matter what the senior staff was, was going to remain friends. Their conflicts were external. Yeah. Mostly. And I like that they're, they're introducing some doubt here and that things that happen on missions on this show could have some consequences uh, for the relationships between them. I think that's good. I agree. Did you like the episode, Adam? Yeah, I think this is one of... I mean... One of the great episodes of season four. (laughs) But really one of the great episodes of the series, I think, so far. Really, really great argument. I love love arguments where both parties seem right in their own way. Uh, It was, and especially played out by two actors that we really like. That was solid. I, I have big problems with why this away mission... Or why the survey mission exists at all. Right. Like, if you can just get past that, <laughs> I think you'll be very happy with this episode. What about you, Ben? Uh, I also like the episode. I think it's really smart of them to spend some time showing Worf adjusting to life on this station in this new context. I think... Uh, I think it would it's it's totally natural that he would have some adjusting to do and yeah it not only lets the character live in that reality but also kind of helps us recalibrate our expectations about who, what he does on the show because he serves a very different utility on this show than he did yeah. on TNG and I uh I think it's super su- smart writing to to do that in this episode yeah they're really doing a this ain't Star Trek the Next Generation thing with Worf, huh? <laughs> they sure are, Adam. <laughs> well, let's see if we have any P1 messages. Sure do, Ben. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first priority one message is a call to action, Ben. (laughs) 
And uh, the message goes like this. This corporate P1 is to promote crying <laughs> and having your wife wipe away your tears, Aww. which is the greatest feeling in the world. Thank you, Ben, for being a real man and sharing. And, uh, wow. and, the, and the call to action is crying. <laughs> uh, crying. Maybe crying will work for you. I mean, this is not the first uh, sponsorship money we've gotten from crying. Yeah. <laughs> we do a lot of it. We, we're we're uh, two of crying's most well-known spokespeople. It's true. <laughs> Compensated endorsers yeah. for crying. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, nice to get a P1 from crying. Yeah. Man, I wish I, I wish I knew what this was in reference to specifically. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Just crying in general. Yeah, feels good to cry. Let it out. Let it out. Adam, we have another Priority One message of a promotional nature here. It goes like this. Turbulenceforecast.com is a website that anxious flyers can use to see if their next flight will be turbulent or not. Aircraft bangers, if you will. You can use the freely available maps or purchase an individual forecast by email. Big fan of the pod. Mention scarves in the forecast by email to show your support. Wow, I just went to this website and it is what it says on the box. Yeah. Really cool concept. Visit turbulenceforecast.com for forecast maps or to order your own personalized forecast by email. Very cool. I know that my wife is a particularly anti-turbulence person, so I think she would love to know about this website. I'm going to send her a link right now. I am a little surprised that on this website, in big, bold letters, it does not say at the top that turbulence has never been the cause of a commercial air crash or fatality in the history of aviation. Like, I think that's baseline one of the things that fearful flyers should know, and that's something that I remind my wife of from time to time. Like, turbulence does not cause accidents. Yeah, but it can be scary yeah. even, even despite that. True. So True. Uh, I, I think this is a useful service. I do too. And, uh, cool idea. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, I love that whoever's behind this is a fan of the show. There's a turbulence index, Ben. Wow. With, with numbers and colors. I'm getting some investment dollars and I'm investing in turbulence, baby. Yeah. Well, if you have a priority one message of a emotional or commercial nature, you can take it on over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200, both of which keep this emotionally turbulent program going week in and week out. And we thank you. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. 
And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Got it, got Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I think with everything we know about Chief O'Brien, his history as a legitimate warfighter, <laughs> his training by Captain Maxwell, the dis... One of the finest what, captains in the fleet. Yeah. And also, like, their circumstance, right? The Jem'Hadar are uniquely lethal. They've shown a willingness and an interest to kill them. I do not understand his decision to make a non-lethal weapon. Like, like the whole, <laughs> like that guy is smacked in the head with a log. It's a fucking Home Alone trap that he makes. <laughs> I don't get that. 
I don't get that at all. And for that reason, O'Brien's my Shimoda. Like, rig the tricorder to explode. Wow. Was my was my vote. So, yeah, I, I, I don't get that. And I think it's okay if you have O'Brien kill a guy. Yeah. It's okay. What about you, Ben? My Shimoda is this... Uh the gem hadar that actually gets the the ketracel white and administers it to himself mm-hmm. uh we you know at the end of the withdrawal scene bashir is like overcome with sympathy for these guys and it's like well give them the give them the stuff for now they don't need to be suffering like this while i do the research and so they pass out some some white and we get a close up of a guy and the process of installing the vial of Ketrasol white. It just looks like kind of putting your wallet away in your suit jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was uh, pretty fun. Like they they had the little pipes with the with the liquid going into their necks like seasons ago. I feel like you know yeah. ever since we've seen these characters, they've had a long time to develop the 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 look and tactile feeling of installing uh, of injecting themselves or whatever and. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, they don't want us to see it going in. I get, did we see it at some point in like one of the other? I don't. I don't know if we've seen it before, but it just it just seemed very funny to me that it would just be like, yeah, just stick it behind uh, your stick it in your breast pocket, and uh, and <laughs> that's all you have to do. Especially with the the composition they give it, like you're expecting to see something, right? Yeah, and then it just disappears behind a lapel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, a little silly. Yeah, agreed. What do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is season four, episode four, Indiscretion. Forced to bring Dakot along on a personal mission, Kira discovers the real reason her nemesis wants to accompany her. <laughs> wow, a uh, a buddy mission with Dukat and Kira. Is this going to be a callback to when Garrick outed Ducat's uh, crush on her? Is that going to be what this is? Shit, dog. I don't know. You will be delighted to learn that the top that she wears in the episode where she kills the pizza oven is back in effect. I'm pizza looking... top is back. Yeah, looking at the uh, looking at the little thumbnail here. It's unmistakable. That is great. Love that. Well, Adam, uh, this is uh, your episode to roll them bones and find out how we will be doing said episode. Next episode is a Max Fun Drive episode, so it would be pretty wild if it was something fun. <laughs> Wouldn't it be? <laughs> it would be so wild, Ben. Yeah, I mean, we already we did something fun this week, so maybe people are inspired enough by, by that. I don't know if you had fun, but I had fun this week. I had great fun. Great fun indeed, Ben. Just a few squares ahead, we have a Caught in the Nebula square. And I think that's the only thing in range. Caught in the Nebula is kind of the polar opposite of a uh, an nth degree, right? Like, this would be no notes, no scrubbing into the, into the episode, just doing our darndest to remember how the episode went and describe it back to each other. Yeah. Like a... Like a Game of Star Trek Telephone. <laughs> oh, man, I cannot wait uh, to get one of those and hear all of the corrections. <laughs> I'm I'm just going to delete all my accounts if we get to that point. 
All right, do you want to, uh, you want to roll the dice? You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right, in my sweaty palm, I have placed the die, and I am rolling. Chula! <laughs> Did I win? Hardly. I have rolled a two, which has plopped our runabout on square 80, inching ever closer to the Caught in the Nebula episode, but placing us firmly back into the bosom of a regular Greatest Gen Ep. I would argue because it's a Max Fun Drive episode, maybe uh, maybe we crack a couple of brew dogs just to be festive about it. That sounds delightful, Adam. Yeah. Well, that will be the next episode. Really looking forward to it. Me too. Get your wallets ready and your social media accounts ready for the Max Fun Drive. We need all of the help we can get uh, you know, promoting the show, promoting the drive, and uh, most importantly, uh, new, new and upgrading donors. So if you already donate to support the show, thank you. Next week, consider increasing your donation uh, because this ain't getting cheaper to do. It is getting more expensive to do. And if you right. don't already support the show, know that uh, the show cannot go on if it does not uh, improve its uh, revenue. Uh, this is very expensive and time-consuming and, well, fun. Uh, you know, we need, uh, we need to keep these lights on. So uh, if you find the show is enjoyable, uh, please consider donating next week. Well said, Ben. A couple of people who help make the show as good as it is include Adam Ragusia, who has created the fun riff on our theme music, as well as all the interstitial music yeah. for the show. And the Kirk song, which you can check out in the uh, donor bonus episode of Greatest Gen Con, which will be hitting your uh, bonus feed very shortly. That's right. If it hasn't Lots already. People excited for that. I'm excited for that. I am too. Got to thank our card daddy, Bill Tilly, who makes uh, awesome trading cards of every episode of this show and Greatest Discovery now. Uh, Bill Tilly doing double duty. Uh, he is one of the greats. And uh, we feel really lucky to have all of the amazing fan art that pours out for this show. It's so fun to look through on social media every week. We use the hashtag GreatestGen uh, to denote posts about it on Twitter where Adam is at Cut for Time and I'm at Benjamin AHR. There are subreddits and Facebook groups and all kinds of different social media things. There's the Greatest Gen Wikia out there if you uh, want to look into the origin of any of the jokes from the show. Uh, we really uh, feel lucky to have such a great community of Friends of DeSoto out there. We really do. It's the best part of making the show. Yeah. Actually, it's not the best part of making the show, Ben. You know what the best part of making the show is? I don't. Doing it with you. Aw, <laughs> oh, buddy. I really mean that, man. I agree. I, the same is true for me as well. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which brings back a treasured garment.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.